Hello and welcome to the November edition of the HCI at UCD podcast, a monthly podcast from University College Dublin featuring our human-computer interaction seminar series guests. I'm Justin Edwards, a PhD student here at UCD, and today I'm joined by Dr. Shamsi Iqbal, principal researcher in the Productivity and Intelligence Group in Microsoft Research Redmond. Dr. Iqbal's work is focused on attention management and interruptions and recently has sought to redefine productivity as the nature of work changes and our need for work-life balance increases. Shamsi, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Justin. So first, I wanted to kind of start at a, a really basic level. Um, what is our current understanding of productivity at work? How do we talk about productivity and how how is the way we talk about productivity maybe inadequate for the way work's been changing over the years? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and that's also a very difficult question. The problem with just uh, information productivity or in general, I mean, it's very difficult to measure because there aren't necessarily clear metrics around it. So what we depend on a lot is some kind of like subjective evaluation of what you think about your own productivity. So that's a big part of how we think about productivity. There are some other, I would say, signals in the way that people work. So how much you're able to focus? Are you multitasking? Are you completing the tasks in your task list? But that is not necessarily a universal way of getting work done. So for example, if you're looking at your digital environment and you have some kind of like logging tool that's monitoring what you do, and if you were typing something, then yes, you can count the keystrokes, you can look at the mouse movement. If you're reading something, then it's more difficult to say whether you're actually reading or you're just like checking out or your, your mind is wandering. So I think that that's why it's a bit fraught with difficulties, but uh, this is something that we are actively looking at. So what are some of the key metrics of productivity that we can actually universally use? And what sorts of people are kind of interested in those productivity metrics? Is that more for someone to evaluate their own productivity or is that uh, more an employer evaluating an employee's productivity? Yeah, um, I would say both. So one is that organizations or universities all want to know that people are being productive. And so, so I think that that's one side of it. The other one is that for you to be able to feel good about yourself, feel that you have accomplished your goals, you need to be able to also have a good measure of your productivity. So for example, if you take the fitness trackers and we love looking at how many steps we have gotten or how many miles we have run because we need that information feedback to ourselves to keep ourselves motivated. And the same thing with productivity. If there's a way that you could actually show people their own kind of like trends in productivity, how have you done during that day? How many times have you been distracted? and things like that. I think that that can be super useful for people in terms of reflection, in terms of planning, and in terms of also identifying that, well, maybe I've been working too hard and I need to uh, take a break. Yeah, that makes sense that uh, it can be both in terms of making your work better, but also in terms of uh, making the work-life balance side of things better too. Mm -hmm. um, big focus of your talk and of your recent research was the idea of micro tasks and how they can contribute to productivity. Could you explain what a microtask is and how it corresponds to your productivity? Yeah, so so the idea of microtasks, they come from psychology literature. And so essentially, they're basically taking a big task and decomposing the big task into its component subtasks. So let's take a writing task, for example. 
you need to write an essay. That is a huge task if you keep on breaking it down. So maybe then you end up with writing the introduction, writing the related work, writing the the core idea, and so on and so forth. And you can break that down further, and it can go right down into the unit levels. It could be well type a letter, but we are not interested in those parts. We are interested in the parts that are still they're understandable as a task, but there's something that would take maybe a few seconds, a minute or so. So you can, the benefit of this is that you can use these micro tasks and fit them into the short bursts of time that exist. Say, for example, I was waiting to join this Zoom call. I had a couple of minutes. And so if I had a micro task, I could have gone and done this. We already do this in some form because when we're waiting for something, we typically check email, we might triage email, we might reply to a quick message, we might check something off or to-do lists. So these are all examples of micro tasks. And uh, to answer your second question, I see micro tasks as a way of complementing our traditional way of getting things done, which is we need to set aside time and we get focused work done. And that's typically how we look at getting complex things accomplished. Micro tasks can be a complement to that. So in, in two ways, one is that you can now also use the micro moments that are scattered throughout the day and turn them into something useful. So imagine that you have done maybe 30 minutes of work, but they, they're all scattered around, around the day. So you didn't need to set that 30 minute aside. So, so that's one way. The other one, which I feel is what, which is also very interesting is that when you are focusing at work, and maybe there are like little things that you need to do as part of that work. Let's take a writing a paper for an example, and you need to add in a citation, but that might also need you to now switch, go to your citation manager, find that citation, drag it into your document. And that is already creating a friction in your flow state or your focus state where you are actually pumping out words. And so to prevent that distraction, what you can do is that you can create a little micro task. And we already do that in terms of inline notes or creating little notes for ourselves. And you can come back to that later. And so that task, when you come back to it later, will take probably a minute or so, but it still allowed you to focus on what you are doing, where you just were able to save the intent to go back to the micro task for later. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you see particular tasks as being particularly well suited to breaking down into micro tasks or is is that sort of, you know, any task can be broken down into its component parts? Yeah, so I think any task can be broken into its component uh, parts if you think of it. Uh, not everything is probably suitable for a micro task because there are a lot of subtask dependencies. So it could be that, well, you can't just do this task because you cannot do it with that, without the context around it. So for example, say you, your microtask says, uh, make sure this paragraph flows well in comparison to what is before and after it. Now, if you don't know what is before and after, you can't do it. And that itself, it becomes a complex task. But there are certain tasks, especially the tasks that are very prescriptive. So for example, filling out a form, uh, that is very, it's kind of like, it's, it's, extremely sequential. So you do one thing, there's not a lot of dependency on, on the thing that you do next. But those are the easy things. I'm not too concerned about turning those into micro tasks. I think that what the biggest challenge is, is that thinking about the complex tasks that we typically do, writing, coding, uh, and even like data analysis. And are there parts there that we could extract chunks that can be done context-free without a lot of dependency on other tasks. And so we have been exploring some of these in writing as well as coding. Right. Very interesting. And how do people feel about doing micro tasks? Is it something that people are uh, 
you know, excited that they can get little bits of work done throughout their day? Or so, so I think that there, there are two ways, again, of thinking about this, and people have reacted in both ways. So one is that sometimes people feel that, well, yeah, I, I had this thing nagging at the back of my head, and now I'm able to get it down and be done with it, and now I can focus on whatever I'm doing. Uh, so, so that's one. The other one is that there is a concern that we want to fill people's free moments with work. And I think that that's really a important consideration when you are designing these technologies, because instead of helping people so that they can maybe save an hour in their day, if you feel that they are on all the time, they have to be working all the time, that actually defeats the purpose. So we need to be very careful in how we design these things and how we present these things and let the user feel in control while providing them support when they need to be able to do these micro tasks versus if they shouldn't be doing those micro tasks then and rather take a break. I think that we have enough data that we should be able to support those needs. Yeah, that that's really interesting to me. I, I don't know if I even have a specific question for you here, but it's interesting to think about what our role uh, might be as researchers or as designers and you know, if we if we make people's work something that they can incorporate throughout their day. How responsible are we if, you know, then their employer starts transforming their entire day into work? Right. That's where the awareness about burnout, the awareness about balancing is super important. And so, so, for example, especially in the context of working from home, where we have essentially taken our work life and transplanted into our personal life. So there's already a tension there. And so uh, for most people, we tend to continuously interrupt ourselves or there are external interruptions that cause us to switch back and forth. There's a role of micro tasks there as well. You could imagine that you could use micro tasks to help you transition in and out of those phases. So for example, as you are moving from one task to something completely different, maybe you are ramping down quickly so that when you come back, you can resume easier. And so you can resume also via a few micro tasks that gets you into context. So that's, that's one. The other one is that maybe in intentionally challenging environment, all you can do is actually micro tasks. So here's an example. So if I have to help my kids during their schoolwork and that is during my work day, maybe I can just like, the all I can do when I'm helping them is maybe I can just get a few micro tasks off my list. And these could be like emails or something or, or even like short tasks that, okay, I need to just put in the citation. I need to check the spelling. I need to make sure that this paragraph reads well. Nothing too engaging. Nothing does that takes me away from the main task that I'm doing there. But it also makes me feel that I am making some progress. So, so I think that that's, that's one way of thinking about it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense that, uh, yeah, as long as it's kind of uh, us deciding on our own that I want to yeah. engage in work right now rather than, you know, a task leaping out at you when you, uh, when you aren't asking for one. I think the, the other thing also to keep in mind is that human beings are very influenceable. And yeah. so if there is a task popping out uh, or in whatever form you present it to people, people may still engage and that may not be to their benefit. So I think that that's why the design is so important is that we do want to design these positive technologies that are not necessarily just making us be more productive or make us or help us become machines or pumping out work in unbelievable rates. But we want people to feel good about the way that they do work. We want them to feel fulfilled. We want them to feel satisfied and happy and more encouraged to kind of like do work in a way that they, they feel that they are making a difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
you you mentioned so you might be able to use micro tasks as a way to kind of transition from working on one task to working on another or ramping down one task are there kind of strategies to to making sure micro tasks support that sort of jumping between because i know it can be jarring to jump into a task that you know right. i haven't touched this in a week and now i'm back in it mm-hmm. so um i'll give a couple of examples from work that we have done um in 20 20- so we had a paper in Kai 2016, and so this was a work done by Carrie Kai when she was interning with us. And so we were trying to look at how we can use microtasks to help build context before they jump into something a bit more deeper. So the example is that when you open up a document, you don't start writing right away. At least for myself, I start formatting the document a bit. I start reading through pieces that I had written before. And I, I start building that context before I feel that I am confident enough to actually go and make some substantial changes. So there, there, were, there were a few ideas there is that we wanted to see how we can help people be build context. So was it through same kinds of micro tasks that are super simple and then you build up the difficulty level or is it on the same content, you have people do different kinds of microtasks. So an example is that maybe you start off with a spelling and maybe from that spelling, you move on to that, okay, now let's fix this sentence. And then you're starting to already build some context around that content that you're, well, you're getting more engaged with it. And then that makes it easier to uh, leap into it. And the other one is that, well, maybe you do a bunch of spelling tasks and then you kind of like get into a rhythm and then you move on to something a bit more difficult. We found that the, uh, the first one where you were playing with the same content, but doing different kinds of microcasts that is more effective in building context. But there, 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 there were some other nuances there. But it, what was useful is that once people had that familiarity with the document again, it was easier for them to start working on it. The other uh, study that we did was, um, I think that was in 2017, it got published in 2019, uh, Nathan Han's work, where we wanted to see what happens if we take microcasts and put them into people's Facebook feeds. And the idea was that, well, you are distracted or quote unquote distracted with uh, Facebook. Uh, let's see if we put kind of like distraction from that distraction into your feed, what happens then? And we obviously, we were cognizant of the fact that we were trying to ruin Facebook for people, but we wanted to see how people reacted. So what was interesting is that for the first two and a half minutes on average, people just ignored those micro tasks. And then it was something like all the other kind of like Facebook stuff that pops up on your news feed that you can choose whether or not you want to engage with it. And what we found is that after that initial period where they were just browsing Facebook for their own needs, they started to get a little bit engaged with the micro tasks. And so they would do one here and one there. And then uh, about about 20% of the time, we found that engaging with the microtests helped people go back into the document. There were a few interesting feedback from people. One is that people thought that this was a great way for them to get engaged with a document that they were typically not working on. And so say, for example, it's a document that I have touched maybe seven days ago, a little bits of it come in Facebook uh, as a microtask. I feel that I'm still engaged with it because now I'm kind of like able to do a couple of microtasks and then I, I, I feel that connection. They really didn't want microtasks coming from a document that they were working on currently because they felt that they wanted to step away from it. And so if it keeps on following them, that's not a good experience. But there, there, there's much to learn there. I think that microtasks, again, could be another way of just like helping you keep the context fresh. Uh, Oftentimes, if you're not um, connecting with things, uh, then you might forget. So that's one. 
The other one is that microtest could be a way that, well, you can also help collaborators. So maybe it's not your paper or not your work, but someone sends you, just like a crowd worker, it's now you're just a friend worker. And you might just do a couple of microtests for someone else. Yeah, that, that's brilliant. I, I'm really fascinated by the uh, the Facebook feed idea of, you know, here's a little bit of work and it's it's not your main work. It's just something, take it or leave it. It's like how, you know, if you're on deadline, you might start cleaning your room or something. You're on right. deadline with something else. You start working on a little micro tasks for a different project instead. I, I, I think that the biggest challenge that many people have is just like getting to that first hump of getting engaged. And so many times we keep on ignoring tasks because it seems so daunting to do that first step. So sometimes if you just fill out what what is the first step, so what is the first thing you want to do? And I think if you break it down in that manner, that might help. Because if it's that, okay, I need to finish this Kai meta review, that's daunting. And especially when I don't want to do it, then I will, obviously, I will end up cleaning my room. I'll end up doing all the other things on my to-do list. But if you break it down and say, okay, what is the first step here? So maybe you just write, write, the first sentence of the summary or something like that. I think that breaking it down that way might help a lot. Yeah, I was fascinated too in terms of breaking tasks down like that. You mentioned in the, the 2016 Kai paper of how you could break tasks down and give someone maybe a bunch of spelling tasks in a row mm -hmm. that now tasks might bear structural similarity. They might have, it might, it might be the same task, even if they come from very different uh, kind of overarching tasks that you might be writing a mm -hmm. sentence for this paper and a sentence for that paper. Um, it, it kind of reimagines what work goes together. Right. And I, I think that, that that idea came from crowd work a little bit is that, yeah. well, you just want to give a bunch of similar tasks to people so that they don't need a lot of context. They can build up the speed and they can just get it done. But I think that when you are doing your own work, there, are a bit, there is a bit more context that you already have within yourself. So it's not something that you don't know. It's just a matter of whether you have enough context within yourself to be able to complete a lot of different kinds of tasks. And I don't know whether this would work with people who are not familiar with, with a document, but for a person who is working on their own document, I believe that just these little hints will help them kind of just recreate that context. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you, you also mentioned, so kind of having different resources available to you. You gave the example of um, when you're helping your kids with schoolwork, you might be able to commit so much time. Or um, I, I remember from your talk, you also spoke about different resources in terms of just what screens in front of you that sometimes you might be by your phone, other times you might have a laptop there. So how do we, how do you think about resources and how we design micro tasks? How do you support people knowing that they have different resources available to them? Yeah, I think that uh, what we should be thinking about is that, well, what are the typical environments that people might be working in? And so I think that there is one is that there's the attentional dimension. So are you in a low attention environment or are you in a high attention and when I say high attention that you're able to focus more then I think that the next consideration is that what device or resources do you have with you do you have a phone so I might be in a in an environment where I'm able to focus but I just have my phone with me and so that limits the space of tasks that I might be able to do though I might be able to focus so for example in that case maybe I can read something on my phone then there is uh, on the flip side it could be that well I have my full device setup, but it's a very limited attention environment. So it could be that I just, I am just about to join a meeting. So I really have very little time and I have very little attention. So I think the time, maybe time available is the other dimension to think about. So I might have a lot of time. I might have 
a lot of ability to focus, but I just have a phone. Or I might have a lot of time, I have no ability to focus and I have a desktop device. And so that will be the set of tasks that can be done in that kind of environment and so on and so forth. So, so I think that just having the full set of devices doesn't solve the problem entirely. You need to be able to also measure what kind of attentional constraints you have. And so once you break down a task, you could imagine that, well, you might be able to identify this is something that I can do on a phone in a limited attention environment in very little time. And then you can kind of like start distributing things like that. I would say that at the beginning, it might be a manual exercise, but as we know more about how we can create these workflows, I think that some of these things will also identify, well, this is something that maybe my collaborator can do, or maybe this is something that can be automated. So you start understanding which tasks need your specific skill and you need to do them and then decide when and how you're going to do it. And then the others, maybe you can just give it to other people or you can automate. So it, it, it helps kind of like doing the task more efficiently. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, in terms of it, you know, right now being something you have to kind of manually make that workflow for yourself, um, how, how easy or difficult do you see that for someone of uh, kind of thinking about their, their kind of suite of tasks they have to do and thinking about you know, which sort of tasks they, they can do now, kind of allocating those properly. Is that is that something we can kind of apply to our, our working lives now? I think that some of the things that we might already be doing, a lot of us create to-do lists where a lot of us kind of like have this list of things that we have. But uh, in many cases, these are like larger tasks. And I do know that some people also break them down into smaller pieces. So I think that we we might already have that. And that's that's needs something as simple as that, okay, I just need a pen and paper. I don't even need like something sophisticated. Uh, I think that the piece that is probably missing is kind of like taking those small chunks of work and then fitting it into the bigger picture. So I might have my list of things to do, but we don't necessarily have a very good way of evaluating the task performance in the context of the bigger task that it belongs to. So I think that there's an opportunity there is that not only allowing people to do the tasks, but also allowing them to reflect on it in context of how, how has this helped me progress in my larger task. We did this a little bit last year in, as part of the writing. So where we asked people to create micro tasks when they were writing on, on the desktop. And then they completed these micro tasks when they were on the go. And then later they came back into the document, integrated the results from those micro tasks, and then did a little bit of editing on those again. And that way you have a sense that, well, this is how the micro tasks also fit into the big picture. How does it impact the quality? Which is also an important consideration is that, well, if all I'm doing when I'm doing micro tasks is low quality work, and then people wouldn't want to do it. So we need to make sure that, yes, I can design the micro tasks in a way that I'm still able to do good quality work. It's just that I have now more flexibility in doing it. Right. Okay. Finally, I kind of want to ask, as your work focuses on productivity, the nature of work, uh, all of that, what's your own kind of personal approach to working? How do you structure your own time and balance your own work and life? So one of the things that I have found really important during the pandemic uh, is that taking care of your own personal needs. And so when I say my own personal needs, it doesn't even mean my, my family needs. It's kind of like I need to have breaks between meetings because otherwise there's no way that I can disconnect from what meeting I was before and mentally reconnect with the next one. I think that that's an important one. I would say protecting time on your calendar for your own work. And especially because during the pandemic, every interaction has turned into a meeting. That means that your day is fraught with 
with kind of like these digital connections with people, but you may not have as much time to do your own work. So this is true for students. This is true for professors. This is true for any kind of information worker, developer, researcher, whoever. You need to set aside time on your calendar to get your own work done. I think what is important is that just looking at your schedule and seeing that time is protected. No one else is going to schedule over it. And you are able to do whatever you need during that time. So my, my weekly calendar has many slots of focus time. I use some of them from for specific focus work. Sometimes it gives me the flexibility to plan on the go that, well, maybe this is a time that I do need to go and help my kid with something. So I'll, 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 I'll set aside that time during the day to use it. Or maybe I need to go for a walk, or maybe I really need to get things done. So it gives you that flexibility, and I think that's important. I think the other thing is that being able to have a routine that allows you to kind of like start your day and have a routine that allows you to disconnect from your day at the end of the day. And this could be something like lots of people do some kind of meditation. I mean, when we were traveling, or when we were commuting, that was me being in the car, just listening to the news, that was my form of disengaging. But also kind of like being a bit more reflective about, about it, is that what did I do today? Or how did I feel today? Uh, what should I be doing tomorrow? And feeling that you have left yourself things to do for the next day that you can just get started on. So I think that there are these little tweaks that you can make to your day, to, otherwise it becomes really difficult to manage. Yeah, I think that's that's really uh, healthy advice that all of us working from home right now should, uh, should definitely think about. I should think about it more myself. And especially for students, because I think it's very easy to get kind of like super focused or hyper focused into something, but it is super important as well to make sure that you're taking breaks. You're allowing your cognitive resources to get uh, replenished. Uh, you you can only work at a heightened level for some time. Otherwise, you will soon start getting burnt out. And so that's very important that you allow yourself some grace. Yeah, that, that's great advice. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much, Dr. Iqbal, for joining us for this. Um, this was, My pleasure. It was a lot of fun having you for our seminar talk and then for the podcast. If there's anything you want to advertise, any social media you want to plug, anything like that, go right ahead. I Oftentimes I follow Twitter and I have my Twitter handle, Iqbal underscore ST. My website is too big to say online, uh, but uh, it's, so um, you can just search for my name and you can find it. And I think that that's about it. And, and thanks for this opportunity. This was really great. Um, I think that the pandemic, I think one, one good part of the pandemic is that it has brought us closer together and it has diminished the boundaries that typically exist. Um, except for Absolutely. the time. I think that everything else has become slightly easier in terms, in terms of communication. Yeah, I'd say the, the Irish research community can sometimes be very, uh, it's, it's tight-knit, but it's to itself. There's, there's not a lot of uh, people from outside the Irish bubble coming to visit us that often, so it's been great getting to have someone like you get inside the Irish bubble for, uh, for something like it's this. It's a pleasure, and hopefully we all get to meet in person someday. Yes, I hope so. The HCI at UCD podcast is available at hci.ucd.ie, where you can also find our guest's seminar presentation slides and more information about the UCD HCI community. You can also find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow HCI underscore UCD on Twitter to keep up with our research group. Our theme music is Robot Park by Poddington Bear.